of the Mac. Get up what it is, what it does, what it is, what it isn't. Looking for a better way to get up out of bed instead of getting on the internet and checking a new hit. Get up, first shot, come strut walking. A little bit of humble, a little bit of cautious. Somewhere between like Rocky and Cosby's for the game. Nope, nope, y'all can't copy up. Bad, moonwalking. And this here is our party. My posse's been on Broadway, and we did it all way. Chrome music. I shed my skin and put my bones into everything I record to it. And yet I'm on. Let that stage light go and shine on down. Soup game and plinko in my style. Money, stay on my craft and stick around for those pounds. But I do that to pass the torch and put on for my town. Trust me, on my I N D E P E N D E N T shit hustling. Chasing dreams since I was 14 with the Fortrack busting. Halfway across that city with the back, 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 question. Labels out here, now they can't tell me nothing. We give that to the people, spread it across the country. Labels out here, now they can't. Tell me nothing. We give it to the people. Spread it across the country. Here we go back. This is the moment. Tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over. So we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't hold us. Here we go back. This is the moment. Tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over. So we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't hold us. I'm so damn grateful. I grew up really wanna go fronts, but that's what you get when Wu-Tang raised you. Y'all can't stop me. Go hard like I got an eight away in my heartbeat. And I'm eating at the beat like it gave a little speed to a great white shark on shark. We raw. Time to go off. Gone. Two says goodbye. I got a world to see. And my girl, she wanna see Rome. See, so make you a believer now. Nah, I never ever did it for a throne. That validation comes from giving it back to the people now. Nah, sing this song and it goes like... Raise those hands, this is our party. We came here to live life like nobody was watching. I got my city right behind me. If I fall, they got me. Learn from that failure, gain humility, and then we keep marching. Can I we said, go back? This is the moment. Tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over. So we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't hold us. Go back. This is the moment. Tonight is
belong if you feel like happiness is the truth. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. family, friends, and the great class of 2014. Welcome to Class Day. My name is Taylor Francis. My name is Teddy Schleifer. My name is Elisa Tavari. And, and we are your 2014 Class Day chairs. Class Day has been a Princeton tradition since 1856. It is a day when the administration nervously releases the reins to the senior class, allowing us to run an event in our own characteristic way. As such, the day is a lighthearted event filled with reflection, celebration, and humor. Today, we are proud to be gathered as a class to carry on this tradition. We will celebrate the outstanding achievements of our peers, Welcome honorary class members, hear from a renowned speaker, 
and share one last moment together before we exit Fitz Randolph Gate and embark on new journeys. To begin, we would like to recognize the unity that binds us together as members of the class of 2014. This includes remembering those in our community who have shared in our class history, but cannot be with us today. On, of particular note, we want to reflect on the life of our fellow classmate, Kristen Kylo. Please take a moment of silence to honor those who, while not here in person, remain with us today in spirit and will always be remembered as a part of our class. Thank you. Thanks. Our first speaker today is University President Christopher Eisgruber. I spent all last summer digging into Christopher Eisgruber's past to try and find something out about him. And here's what people told me. Yes, he is smarter than you. <laughs> yes, he's kinder than you, he's funnier than you, he's better looking than you, he's frattier than you. Oh, okay. The last one's not true. His record's clean. I checked. Beyond that, though, you know, he's really had an ambitious first-year agenda. He's asked questions about how can we increase the socioeconomic diversity of our class? How can we revolutionize the way that we deflate grades? How can we portray our trip to Paris as part of a listening tour? He's a bit nervous. This is his first class day, so please give a warm welcome to University President Chris Eisgruber. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning to the great class of 2014. What a beautiful morning for class day. I am so delighted to be with you and so delighted to be speaking to you on class day. So delighted. So delighted. Well, not really. I mean, I feel like I'm among friends, so I, I, I think I can level with you about this. By my count, the president of Princeton University is supposed to give over the course of reunions and commencement this entire weekend a total of about 742 speeches. There are speeches to drunken alumni at reunions. There are trustee meetings, so there are speeches to trustees, some of whom are still getting over their reunions hangover. There are speeches in the chapel, there are speeches at the commencement ceremony. But the only one I've really been worried about is this one. And there are two reasons for that. And the first of them is, this occasion is kind of foreign to me. You see, when my class, the amazingly great class of 1983, <laughs> yeah, applause, not laughter, applause for that one came through Princeton, we came through what I have come to think of as the Dark Ages of Class Day. Because the Dark Ages followed what was a century-long golden era of Class Day that lasted from around 1866 to 1962, during which the New York Times covered Class Day every year. I, I am not kidding about that. That's not a joke. That's just a true historical fact. The New York Times covered Class Day every year. So the last time we graduated a great class of 14, back in June 1914, the New York Times ran an article the next day headlined, Princeton Seniors Hold Class Day. 
3,000 friends of the men of 1914 attend Nassau exercises. Big sophomore prom. The New York Times actually ran a headline that included the words big sophomore prom. You read the article and you find out, this is the New York Times, you've you all got your cell phones, three of you are probably checking it right now. The, the, the article says that the graduating senior's favorite dance was the one step, which sounds easy enough that I could do it, but that 23 of the seniors that year considered dancing to be morally undesirable. Despite that, 19 were engaged to be married. 31 said that their proposals had been rejected. <laughs> and, and this is in the New York Times, and one man said that he had been rejected 10 times. <laughs> the New York Times reporting does not disclose whether he was rejected 10 times by the same woman or by 10 different women. That that question will remain veiled by the mists of history. <laughs> during, during the golden age of class day, class presidents called fellow seniors to the stage, unsuspecting fellow seniors, and gave them awards, some of which were flattering and some of which were humiliating. So again, this is coming out of the New York Times with the names of the students. In 1934, the class voted Ralph Poole of Chicago, Illinois, the prettiest in the class, and presented him with a mirror. <laughs> they, they voted John Winslow of Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, the biggest snake in the class, and they handed him a live snake. <laughs> but eventually, out of its golden age, class day receded into a tamer combination of speeches plus awards ceremony, and it continued that way until the 21st century when the class of 2001 invited Bill Cosby to speak, ending the dark ages and beginning what I will call class day's renaissance period. <laughs> and ever since 2001, classes have tried to outdo one another by inviting famous people to speak at class day. You have now raised the bar by getting someone who has a Nobel Prize, an Academy Award, and a national political office to his credit. I'm not sure how your successors will top that, but I'm sure they'll try. So as an alumnus from the Class Day Dark Ages, I have to confess I'm really not sure how to handle this complicated Renaissance era. But as I said, there's a second reason that I'm worried about this speech. Quite frankly, I'm nervous about the people who are surrounding me up here at the front of this ceremony. And I'm not talking about your very intimidating class day speaker. I'm talking about David Drew and Adam Mastriani. Yeah, those two guys. Those two guys sitting right there in the front row. I think some of you know what happened the last time I shared a stage with these two guys. Yeah, on this so-called all-nighter with David Drew show. They had, they, they had heard that I discovered just a few years ago that uh, I'm Jewish. So they decided to bar mitzvah me right there on stage. Just because I was Jewish and I had never been bar mitzvahed. So all of a sudden people were singing and I was being hoisted up in this chair. 
I feel very fortunate to have escaped without injury. I also feel incredibly lucky that Adam and David are a couple of goys who have never heard of a bris. When I, when I found out that Adam and David were going to be on stage with me, or at least near it, I did what any sensible university president would do. I immediately called public safety. I demanded that my chair be physically bolted to the stage. And I'm sad to report that my colleagues who are here, Paul Ominsky and Duncan Harrison, failed to appreciate the gravity of the threat that I was facing. So here I am, stuck awkwardly in the class day renaissance, Drew and Mastriani lurking ominously off to the side, my chair utterly unprotected and movable. I tell you, lesser men would crumble under the pressure. But today, my friends, today is class day. Today is a day when we summon the glorious traditions of this university and rise up to meet new challenges. So I have decided that I am not only going to confront my fears, I am going to revive one of the traditions of the golden age of class day by summoning unsuspecting seniors to the stage to receive gifts that they don't expect. Now, you probably don't know this, or maybe you do, but your class president, Luci Megua, and I had a very serious policy disagreement earlier this year. It was about the bonfire. You are the first class to graduate in a long time, having witnessed two consecutive bonfires on this campus. But you are the first Princeton class ever to graduate, having prohibited the immolation of a stuffed, and I repeat stuffed as in fake, not real, the immolation of a stuffed bulldog in that fire. I know this is controversial, but hear me out here for a moment. I personally happen to be kind of old, uh, old school, old school when it comes to bonfires. I, I find there's something uniquely exhilarating about watching a fake, and I do stress fake, but about watching a fake bulldog slip into the flames of a crackling fire on a crisp November evening. And as Lucci knows, I was kind of bummed to be denied that pleasure last fall. But I also realize, and I'm, I'm hearing it in the crowd, that other people feel differently than I do. So I want to bury the hatchet, so to speak, and recognize what we all share in common. And at this point, if I could ask both Luci Megua and your incoming class president, Benny Wagstaff, to step forward and join me here on the stage. But, but David and Adam, stay where you are. Uh, Benny. <laughs> so I have something for you. I have something for you. And don't worry, it's not a live snake. I want to honor the two of you, and indeed the entire class of 2014, as outstanding protectors of stuffed animals. <laughs>
And that is important. That is important, truly important. Because there are some stuffed animals genuinely worth protecting. Now, let's see. Okay, let's see. This one. Oh. For those of you who can't see it in the back, this is a little bulldog. It's not really worth protecting. Now, now I want to say, don't worry, don't worry. The bulldog is safe. It was not harmed. I threw it in the general direction of Roman Wilson, and Roman Wilson catches anything that comes within 10 yards of him. Roman Wilson catches anything that comes within 10 yards of him, and then he spikes it. Now, the, bulldog, the bulldog is safe. It's not harmed because it's a stuffed animal, and you can't really harm stuffed animals. It's not real. But, but, as I said, some stuffed animals are worth protecting, and I now ask the honor guard to come forward. The honor guard. The honor guard is led by Captain Don Reichling of Princeton Public Safety. Captain Reichling. Captain Reichling is able to be with us because no bears have been sighted on the Princeton campus today. Now this, this class of 2014, this is a stuffed animal worth protecting. And Lucci, Benny, 2014, by the authority vested in me, by the trustees of Princeton University, I hereby charge you all with the protection of this tiger. I will look for it, I promise you this, whenever 2014 comes back to campus for its major reunions. And I expect to see it looking intact, well-groomed, and magnificent, as magnificent as the great class of 2014. And Benny, wait, 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 Benny. Yeah, this is the transition in authority here. Benny, I have something else for you, which I'm gonna, I gotta balance many responsibilities as incoming class president. I want to present to you, as Princeton presidents have done on class day for more than a century, with the key to our campus. Careful. This key symbol, this key symbolizes what I suspect you already know, that all of you are always welcome to return to this campus, to return to the best old place of all. It also symbolizes what you, I think, are just beginning to realize, that you will soon become, in effect, co-owners of this campus, and that we will count on you and your classmates to join all of us in stewarding this university for the benefit of students and generations yet to come. Congratulations to the great class of 2014. Thank you, President Eisgruber. In freshman year, after just a few weeks on campus, 
We faced the challenge of electing a class president from a group of classmates we hardly knew. We turned to a man of daring and vision whose bold, ambitious agenda was, quote, free stuff and study breaks. <laughs> In an interview with the press club after being elected, he revealed that his personal anthem was the song, All I Do Is Win. <laughs> He's kept his promises. Four years of food giveaways and a couple of uncontested elections later, we're still stuck with him. Let's welcome our class president, Luchi Megwa. President Eisgruber, thank you for that. <laughs> Vice President Gore, uh, family and friends, and members of the greatest class of 2014 America's ever seen. <laughs> Before I begin, I'd like to thank you all for giving me the opportunity to have served as class president for the last four years. It has been the greatest pleasure of my time here to have served you all in this role. Some of my closest friends, my fondest memories, and the sassiest emails I've ever received have been because of this opportunity, and for that I'm very grateful. It's amazing to look out and see that we all made it to this day. Four years ago, when we arrived on campus, we came weary of the challenges ahead. We were afraid of being in a new place, of making new friends, of academic work, and we pondered how we could make an impact on the world. With each passing year, we became better at dealing with the challenges that make the Princeton experience one of the most remarkable and difficult college experiences anywhere in the world. Thinking back on four years of study breaks and class events, there are two key things that are clear to me. First, if you promise people free food and or free gear, they will line up for over one and a half hours to get it. <laughs> and second, that so many of the friendships that many of you made in freshman year by chance, or for some of our problem-set-laden classmates by necessity, have persisted and grown stronger as the years have gone by. As we sit here at the end of our fourth year in this place, the bonds between us are strong, and the class is as united as ever. With friends like ours spread around the globe, new geographies will never be too foreign. Making new friends will never be such a daunting task, Adapting to new work will never be a lonely task, and engaging on major issues will never seem impossible. As I think of all of us here today, and anyone who knows me knows I'm a big fan of President Kennedy, I'm reminded of the great French Marshal Lyoté. One day he went out to the garden and he asked his gardener to plant a tree, and the gardeners responded, I, I don't think it's going to bear fruit for 100 years. And the Marshal looked back at him and he said, well, in that case, let let's plant it today. Now, I don't think we're going to need uh, till 2014 uh, to, to have impact that will bear fruit on the world. We already have a guy in the NFL. We are a guy, a Rhodes Scholar. I think we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> Nevertheless, I do think that we should begin together to plant our tree this afternoon. Thank you. speaker is the Dean of Undergraduate Students, Kathleen Degnan, who will present our first set of Class Day Prizes, Student Prizes. Well, I have neither a mirror nor a snake, but I do have a few more traditional prizes to award this morning. 
It is customary during class day festivities to acknowledge the winners of the Moses Taylor Pine Honor Prize, awarded annually to that member of the senior class who most clearly manifests scholarship, strength of character, and effective leadership in support of Princeton University. The Pine Prize, which is the highest honor that the university confers upon an undergraduate, was presented this year at Alumni Day to Joseph Barrett and Isabel Kasdan. Joe and Izzy, would you please stand so that your classmates can acknowledge your achievements? Alan Macy Dulles Class of 51 Service Award. An alumnus of the Class of 1951 generously endowed this award to honor his classmate, Alan Macy Dulles, who, seriously injured in the Korean War, set an example of selflessness and courage that are the spirit of this prize. The official description of the award is as follows presented each year to the senior whose activities while a Princeton student best represent or exemplify Princeton in the nation's service and in the service of all nations. The Alan Macy Dulles 51 Award is presented this year to Bernice Fokum. things to say about you first before you escape. Bernice, an anthropology major from Springfield, Illinois, has taken full advantage of her Princeton education to become a citizen of the world. She has pursued opportunities through the Woodrow Wilson School and the Office of International Programs to study in Cuba and in Spain. She is widely known for her thoughtful approach to civic engagement and for being a tireless advocate for public health. For three summers, Bernice worked at Illinois Department of Public Health. She became a certified HIV tester and counselor and for three years was an active student leader in the Princeton Student Global AIDS Campaign. As a sophomore, she traveled to Africa to participate in the International AIDS Conference and presented a paper on her research. Her commitment to defeating the AIDS epidemic, particularly in Africa, is unflagging, and the energy she displays when encouraging other students to become involved is extraordinary. In addition, Bernice has served as an ESL tutor in Princeton, assisting Spanish-speaking immigrants to learn English. For the past three years, she has also volunteered each week as a Spanish-English translator at the University Medical Center at Princeton Plainsboro. On campus, she has served as an alternate RCA in Butler College, a community action leader, and has been an officer in the Association of Black Women. Next year, she will be working at a child development center in New York City, helping adolescents with developmental and mental health needs. Please join me in congratulating Bernice.
the Frederick Douglass Service Award, established in 1969 by the Association of Black Collegians, is awarded annually to a senior who has exhibited courage, leadership, intellectual achievement, and a willingness to contribute unselfishly towards a deeper understanding of the experiences of racial minorities, and in so doing reflects the tradition of service embodied in a Princeton education. This year's winner of the Fe Frederick Douglass Award is Margaret Wang. Margaret, a native of Irvine, California, has majored in East Asian Studies and will receive a certificate in teacher preparation. She has been the president of the Princeton University Mentoring Program, which assists freshmen in their transition to university life by matching them with upper-class mentors. Under Margaret's leadership, fueled by her commitment and dedication, the program was strengthened and expanded to reach a wider community of students. Margaret has also served as a Carl Field Center Fellow, helping to plan and host a wide array of cultural events and encouraging various groups to collaborate with one another and find common themes in their experience. Margaret has been active in the Asian American Students Association and served as president of the Chinese Students Association. As a Mellon Mays Fellow, she created an oral history collection highlighting the diversity of experience among Asian American immigrants. Margaret also worked to organize a group of Princeton and Yale students who worked in collaboration with students from two Chinese universities to develop lesson plans for disadvantaged children in rural areas of China. In all she does, she consistently goes above and beyond what is expected. Please join me in a warm round of applause for Margaret Wang. The Harold Willis Dodd Award is an annual award established in 1957 to be given to the senior who best embodies the high example set by Harold Willis Dodd during his presidency as during his fifth, dur, sorry during his tenure as 15th president of Princeton University particularly in the qualities of clear thinking moral courage a patient and judicious regard for the opinions of others and a thoroughgoing devotion to the welfare of the university and to the life of the mind. This year, the winner of the Harold Willis Dodds Award is Trap Yates. <laughs> Trap, a history major from Sutton, Massachusetts, will also receive a certificate in urban studies. He has been described by his thesis advisor as an outstanding, truly gifted student and scholar. But in addition to being an academic standout, Trapp has also been a strong and engaged citizen of our community, holding a number of leadership positions on campus. He served as a Wilson College RCA for the past two years, discharging his responsibilities with care, dedication, equanimity, and good judgment. He has served as a Pace Center breakout trip leader, a dining services crew manager, and chair of the USG Campus and Community Affairs Committee. 
Trapp also worked closely with the SHARE office to develop and launch the Maverick Project, an initiative that encourages men to work actively to prevent sexual assault and other acts of violence against women. In this capacity, he has organized discussions, developed a student video, and encouraged bystander intervention efforts. Those who know him have enormous respect for his ability to think broadly and independently, but with an ear acutely tuned to the sensibilities of those around him. Please join me in thanking and congratulating Trapp. The next two awards are voted by you, the members of the senior class. First, the W. Sanderson Detweiler 1903 Prize is a silver bowl awarded annually to the senior who, in the judgment of the student's classmates, has done the most for the class. The prize was founded in 1949 in memory of W. Sanderson Detweiler, class of 1902, by his sister, Mrs. Williams Jenning Price. This year's winner is Luci Megwa. A Woodrow Wilson School major who will be receiving a certificate of African studies, Luci hails originally from Lagos, Nigeria. As president of your class for the past four years, he has led your fellow class officers in planning and hosting an impressive array of programs and activities. With Lucci's leadership and support, your class has organized and enjoyed class formals, study breaks, trips to New York to enjoy sporting events and a Broadway show, a trip to Six Flags and pub nights, and of course, who could forget two memorable bonfires. Since last September, Lucci has also chaired your commencement committee, which planned the last lecture series, Step Sing, the prom, as well as these class day festivities. Lucci has certainly left his mark on your class. The fruits of his leadership are obvious and were apparent to all those who watched your class march proudly in Saturday's P-Raid. He has worked hard to cultivate within the class of 2014 a strong sense of community and class identification. As class president, Lucci has also been a member of the Honor Committee for four years, serving as its chair in his senior year, a responsibility he embraced and discharged with care and great discretion. He has also been a member of the Princeton University Mentoring Program and of the African Students Association. Please join me in a warm expression of thanks to your class president, Lucci. And finally, the class of 1901 medal is awarded to the senior who in the judgment of the student's classmates has done the most for Princeton. Founded in 1920, by the class of 1901, which in 1952 endowed it in perpetuity and stipulated that thereafter the medal be awarded in memory of its classmate, Walter E. Hope, who originated the prize. This year, the winner of the 1901 medal is Benny Wagstaff.
Benny, who hails from Washington, D.C., is a Woodrow Wilson School major who will also be receiving a certificate in Italian language and culture. Benny's list of accomplishments is very long indeed, and his contributions to enrich university community life have been enjoyed by all undergraduates. During his two-year two tenure as social chair of the undergraduate student government, Benny worked with a committee of students to plan lawn parties, concerts, Dean's Date celebrations, the silent disco, and many other social events. Under Benny's leadership, decision-making was collaborative and inclusive. He shared his skills and mentored others. Besides being concert master extraordinaire, Benny DJed a number of events on campus, and he even mixed the music for your class day processional. He has worked to provide late night social activities and as chair of the student group's recognition committee, he improved the advising and approval process. Benny launched the coffee chat program, which encouraged over 100 random groups of students to move beyond their own social groups to meet others. His contributions to this university have been many and his capacity to invest his time energy, and creativity in effective ways on behalf of Princeton student body has been extraordinary. Thank you, Benny, and congratulations. Our first student speaker this morning is Adam Mastriani who in first grade won a handwriting contest, and since then it's kind of been downhill. <laughs> From a small town in Ohio, Adam attended Princeton University, an Ivy League school, and then he won a Rhodes Scholarship, wow. You may recognize him from the stage at David Drew's All Nighter or from Quipfire, and if that training hasn't taught him how to make people laugh, consider the fact that his senior thesis examined why we laugh. Given that, this whole thing feels a bit like cheating. Please welcome Adam Mastriani. Um, so I don't think I've ever taken a selfie before, but this kind of seems like a good time. Uh, I did it backwards, sorry. <laughs> okay. So, so guys, let's be honest. The very idea of a graduation speech is silly. We've all had such radically different experiences at Princeton, and to try to encapsulate them in a single speech would require someone to make sweeping generalizations, turn anecdotes uh, into grand ideas, and, and take ideas from people smarter than you and pretend that they're your own. Luckily, I just completed four years of precepts at this school, so I am well prepared to do all of those things. So, in true precept form, I'm going to start with a story, kind of get lost in the middle, and only stop after I've alienated everyone who can hear me. I didn't realize it then, but I learned my greatest lesson walking back from the street on Prince Duween 2010. That night, clad head to toe in a bright orange spandex onesie, I took a step forward, not just into the future, not just into a life of thought and curiosity, 
but also into a puddle of vomit in which I face-planted. <laughs> Lying there, this is literally what I thought to myself. Wow, this could be the vomit of a future Supreme Court justice. <laughs> to me, that moment captures the Princeton experience. Here, even the darkest moments could lead to bright realizations. That's why they're just as important as the happiest moments, and why we can't afford to forget them in the orange and black pageantry of graduation. You don't know those dark moments are coming when you get here at first, of course. When you first arrive at Princeton, everything seems perfect. It's like dating a beautiful woman. She's smart, she's successful, and damn, is she well endowed. <laughs> But soon enough, like the water polo team all touching their toes, the cracks begin to show. <laughs> for example, freshman year I auditioned for seven a cappella groups and got into none of them because I don't have the right tone and they don't let guys in the tiger lilies. <laughs> Did I cry? Yes but I learned how to handle rejection and not to threaten the tiger lilies because they have very strong arms. <laughs> My first writing seminar draft got destroyed because it didn't have a thesis or analysis or seven of the ten pages it was supposed to have. <laughs> Did I cry? Yes. But I also learned to write like a Princeton student, to produce a truly original contribution to the scholarly debate that will turn my preceptor's world upside down as he skims it in 12 seconds and gives it a B. <laughs> in our most recent time of darkness, we all spent a year writing a thesis that nobody cares about, including ourselves. Did I cry? No. I wept. But today, I know how to ask an interesting question about the world, investigate it like a scientist, and stretch the answer into 70 pages. And it's all thanks to Princeton, Monticello font. So, despite my four years here and the best of my efforts, I haven't lost my sense of childlike wonder or my virginity. <laughs> oh. We have so many members of the Anscombe Society here today. But it turns out that I'm a lot like the PDF option in that everyone passes, no one wants to F, and people certainly do not want the D. <laughs> but it's okay, it just means I don't even mind that Shirley Tillman isn't here today because I'm used to women leaving me. Yet I'm still as wide-eyed as I was four years ago because the lesson I learned in that puddle of vomit is still true today. All the nasty stuff added up to one final realization. 
When we applied to Princeton, we said we were passionate about learning, that we wanted to change the world, that we deserved to be here. And when Princeton admitted us, it didn't just say yes, it said prove it. And then, through every challenge, it, it taught us we can't prove it. There will always be someone outshining us, making more money, or getting more PhDs, or scoring more likes on their Beach Week photos. So we had to learn to value other, more important things. Long dinners with friends, or walking through the Institute woods in the fall, or seeing Jeff Nutakawa running across campus shirtless, screaming at the top of his lungs. Or being on the dance floor when a really good song comes on or yelling, get it, Cameron, at the DZX show, even if we didn't know Cameron. <laughs> or even if there wasn't a Cameron in DZX at all. <laughs> so after four years about worrying, about being in the top 35% of everything, I finally realized that the things that matter the most are the ones that didn't keep score. So I wish I had spent less time counting. Not that I can count very high, I am a psychology major. <laughs> if you feel like I do, and if we're imagining this is a precept, I'm going to assume that you feel the way that I do. That doesn't mean we've lost that hunger for achievement that got us here. We will always have that voice inside our head telling us things like, hey, you're free on Thursday, why not uh, start an orphanage in Sierra Leone? And that's good, that's what keeps us striving to be the best versions of ourselves. But somewhere deep in the back of our minds, I think and I hope that Princeton humbled us enough to know that we can't measure our lives and achievements alone. What can we measure it in? To that, I can only say the 10 words that I've been dying to say to every professor and preceptor I've had for four years. I don't know. Why don't you figure it out yourself? <laughs> So I hope that's the thought we take with us as we go out into the four corners of the world to do everything from corporate finance to wealth management. <laughs> now, in one last piece of preceptorial procedure, I'm going to finish with some quick, unsupported platitudes and go shop for shoes online while other people talk. <laughs> I know that leaving Princeton will leave an ugly, gaping hole in our hearts. But if Princeton has taught us anything about ugly, gaping holes, it's that one day there'll be beautiful arts and transit neighborhoods. It's just hard to tell right now. And when we leave, we won't be like a black North Face brought into cloister that is lost forever. We've got the hardest learned lessons to guide us and the greatest classmates to get lost with. And we have a glittering, beer-soaked North Star called Reunions to lead us back here every year. And when we return, we'll get caught up both in Princeton's wonder and its horror. And that'll make us super horny, and we'll make out with someone, and maybe that someone will be me. <laughs> will I cry? Yes. But deep in my heart, thanks to what Princeton taught me, I won't be worried about being in the top 35% of kissers. Or maybe we'll never kiss and I'll just fall and vomit again. Only this time, it will be from an actual Supreme Court justice. And it will be an honor. Thank you.
Thank you, Adam. <laughs> uh, next, please welcome Kimberly De Los Santos, the director of the Pace Center, who will present the Priscilla Glickman Class of 1992 Memorial Prize. Good morning. The Priscilla Glickman 92 Memorial Prize is awarded annually to a Princeton senior who has shown independence and imagination in the area of community service, seeking knowledge and purposeful adventure in unfamiliar cultures. This year's prize is awarded to Lucy Wright. Lucy, will you join us up here, please? school major, Lucy's hometown is Dover, Massachusetts. Lucy has a passion for education. She served as program coordinator of the Mentoring and Leadership Program of Students for Education Reform, and through the Student Volunteers Council, she tutored children in Trenton. Through the PD Green Prisoner Assistance Program, she tutored prisoners. Lucy cares about empowering those who are regularly overlooked by mainstream society. Her senior thesis focused on access to education in Israel and involved her traveling to Israel to conduct extensive research and interviews with villagers whose voices might not have been heard. Committed to social justice, Lucy has been a member of the Princeton United Left and president of the Princeton Committee on Palestine. As a member of the Pace Council for Civic Values, Lucy has been a role model to other students in terms of how to think about and do meaningful service on and off campus. She has particularly tried to improve pathways into freshmen, excuse me, improve pathways into service for freshmen. Lucy is dedicated to public service. <laughs> and as, I'm not the comedy speaker. Um, and as she enters the classroom in the future, we know she'll be an inspiring educator and advocate for her students. Priscilla Glickman would be proud. Congratulations, Lucy. To present this year's athletic awards, next we have former basketball great Gary Walters. After 20 years as athletic director, this is his final class day. Thank you, Teddy. Um, good morning, and I'm proud to be the Ford family uh, director of athletics. Um, through the years, Princeton has been the premier athletic program in the Ivy League. President Emeritus Tillman herself has stated, I've always believed that Princeton is the gold standard when it comes to athletic achievement in an academic setting in the United States. And yes, our mission is indeed education through athletics. On Thursday night at our 17th annual Princeton Varsity Club banquet, we previously honored our 2014 athletic award winners. On behalf of our senior student-athletes, I personally want to thank President Eisgruber for attending that, that event and showing his support. Thank you so much. Now let me give you the Cliff Notes version of that celebratory evening. Would members and award winners please come forward and Stand in a semicircle behind me. Thank you.
Uh, I might add, by the way, that we are missing two award winners uh, for good reason. Um, Karan Reed, as you know, is attending uh, rookie camp with the Detroit Lions. Uh, and uh, Julia Reinprecht uh, is participating for the United States uh, field hockey team in the uh, World Championships in, ne in the Netherlands. Your class has established its own indelible athletic performance during your four years. Princeton won nine national championships, four in team play and five in individual competition. You have combined to win 43 Ivy League championships. That's one-third of all the championships during your four years. Five more than the next best total in the league, 20 more than the third best, and more than Brown, Columbia, Dartmouth, Penn, and Yale combined. Although Princeton's streak of having won the Ivy League's All-Sports Championship ended after an amazing 27 straight year run, we still have a shot at extending our 42-year streak of having an individual or team national champion when the men's and women's track and field members compete in Eugene, Oregon next week. Princeton's class of 2014 had three athletes compete in the 2012 London Olympics. Susanna Scanlon, Michelle Cezanne, and Julia Reinprecht. And 10 members of your class graduate having won 11 Player of the Year awards. Kelly Sean, twice in golf. Alec Keller in baseball. Katie Rigler in water polo. Michelle Cezanne in field hockey. Julia Reinprecht in field hockey. Chris Benson and Damon McLean in track and field. Tom Schreiber was a midfielder, national midfielder of the year, two years in a row in men's lacrosse. And Sarah Lloyd, women's lacrosse, and Lisa Boyce in swimming. Princeton has two teams whose seniors won four straight Ivy League champions, championships, the field hockey team and the women's fencing team and six others who won three championships, men's outdoor track and field, the women's basketball team, the men's uh, cross country team, the women's open rowing team, the men's swimming and diving team, and the women's water polo team. <laughs> Frankly, your class features some of the best athletes to ever play their sport here, and that encompasses many decades. Now our award winners. The Class of 1916 Cup is awarded to the varsity letter winner who continuing in competition throughout his or her senior year achieved at graduation the highest academic standing. It was given by the Class of 1916 on the occasion of its 50th reunion. This year we have two winners. Yes, two. 
and they both happened to be women divers. Both majored in ecology and evolutionary biology. Both finished with the same GPA, and both are good friends as well as teammates. The winners are Rachel Zambrowitz and Randy Brown. Rachel and Randy. Our next award is the prestigious William Winston Roper Trophy that goes annually to Princeton senior males of high scholastic rank and, and the outstanding qualities of sportsmanship and general proficiency in athletics. In honor of Princeton's famed football coach, the Roper Award has been awarded annually since 1936. This, this year we have five winners from your class. Please step forward when I mention your name. And Tom Hopkins, a politics major on the track and field team. Damon McLean, a chemistry major on the track and field team. Karan Reed, whom I mentioned couldn't be here, a sociology major on the football team. Tom Schreiber, a history major on the lacrosse team and Alec Keller, a politics major on the baseball team. Congratulations to those five men for their great accomplishments here at Princeton. The C. Otto von Keenbusch Award, yes, the C. Otto von Keenbusch Award, is the most significant female student athlete award at Princeton. A famed art collector, von Keenbusch was the first major donor to endow women's athletics at Princeton. This year we also have five winners from the distinguished class of 2014. Julia Reinprecht, a politics major on the field hockey and Olympic teams. Michelle Cezanne, a politics major on the field hockey and Olympic team. Lisa Boyce, an English major on the swimming team. Susanna Scanlon, an economics major on the fencing team and the Olympic team. And Kelly Sean, a sociology major on the golf team. <laughs> Julia Reinprecht, Michelle Cezanne, Lisa Boyce, Susanna Scanlon, and Kelly Sean. Congratulations. Our final award, the Art Lane Award, named after one of Princeton's scholar-athlete icons, Art Lane of the great class of 1934. Winner of the Pine Prize, Art Captain, the 1933 Princeton football team to a national championship. Before going on to a distinguished career as a naval officer, a federal judge, and a corporate general counsel. This award is given to honor selfless contributions to sport and society. This year we have five Lane winners. Ladies and gentlemen, our 2014 Art Lane Award winners are Jack Berger, a pre-med economics major of the hockey team. Sarah Lloyd, a psychology major on the lacrosse team. Christina Maida, an anthropology major on the field hockey team. Tom Schreiber, a history major on the lacrosse team. 
and Diane Metcalf-Leggett, an anthropology major on the soccer team. Ladies and gentlemen, this year's class of 2014 Art Lane winners, Jack Berger, Sarah Lloyd, Christina Maida, Tom Schreiber, and Diana Metcalf-Leggett, or Diane Metcalf-Leggett. <laughs> Finally, congrats to all of our Class Day honorees, happy trails, and go Tigers. I salute the great class of 2014. Thank you very much. Our second student speaker is from Jacksonville, Florida. He's an actor, a director, a member of Quipfire Improv Comedy, and a founding member and the host of a popular late night talk show on campus, All Nighter with David Drew. He's also a Woodrow Wilson School concentrator, but one of his most recent Facebook statuses reads, anyone know a place where I can safely burn a thesis? <laughs> so maybe that didn't work out so well. Regardless, please join me in welcoming David Drew. President Eisgruber is so nervous that I am this near him on the stage at this moment. <laughs> Vice President Gore, hold him down. Adam, grab the snake. <laughs> Class of 2014, congratulations. But in the midst of all the celebration, I want you to take the time to reflect a bit using a little three-word phrase that you've probably heard once or twice this year. I want you to check your privilege. And now, it's, it's easy, really. I know there's been some confusion. I'm going to teach you how to do this. Uh, so, okay, go ahead and take out a Sharpie uh, and your privilege checklist. And uh, you just draw a big, fat check mark in the box that says, graduate of the best school in the nation. So you just... Uh, <laughs> That's it. Easy. No, rest assured, classmates, I, I don't totally misunderstand the idea of checking your privilege. Uh, friends and family members, don't worry. The, uh, the Princeton privilege kid that you saw on Fox News, uh, he's still a freshman. If you're disappointed that I'm not the Princeton privilege kid, go ahead and take a nap for five minutes. Uh, this will be over soon. Uh, but seriously, I truly can't stop thinking about the privilege that Princeton has given us. And, and it's not just because we are now all permanently branded with the mark of an elite institution, a privilege previously reserved only for SAE pledges. <laughs> and it is not just now because we are part of a global network of in influential alumni like Jeff Bezos or Sonia Sotomayor and really fun fictional alumni too like Jack Donaghy from 30 Rock or Bruce Wayne or Susan Patton. <laughs> and, and no, okay, no, I am not just interested in privilege because the school threw us two super awesome cane sprees, fun-filled afternoons of class camaraderie that will surely stand out as the best memories that we have at this school. Uh, no, what I mean by privilege is this. Uh, a few weeks ago, we all sat taking the senior exit survey. Uh, you remember it, the one that asked questions like, how is your major? Do you understand what science is now? <laughs> and, and wow, you, you really didn't physically exercise at all those four years? Okay. Uh, 
But for me, there was one question that stood out, and it, it asked me if, after four years here, I was more confident in knowing now what I wanted to do with my life than I was when I entered. And I said no. I said no because Princeton gave me the courage to explore and engage with the things I didn't know I liked, like all of the weird toppings that will end up on your say cheese sandwich no matter what you ordered. I came to th Princeton thinking I would maybe work in finance or for the government, but only because of the prestige. Uh, and I leave now unsure of an exact path, but knowing more what I care deeply about, making the world better through comedy, or what my major, the Woodrow Wilson School, described on our post-grad career survey as undecided. <laughs> Princeton showed me that, as Miley Cyrus once said, it ain't about how fast I get there. It ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's about the climb. It's also about twerking, but uh, President Eisgruber wouldn't let me twerk on stage, at least while Vice President Gore is still here. So <laughs> hang around after, it'll be great. <laughs> but you know, I didn't come to this realization because Maddie Dining Hall fed me pizza till I barfed, or Otis threw money at my student activities until I barfed. I, I came to this because the real privilege of a Princeton education was being around you people. You extraordinary people who are so passionate about their lives that they'll achieve their goals no matter what obstacles stand in the way, like, like grade deflation, or chugging one to get one at TI, or math. <laughs> it's, it's been a privilege to witness the football team accomplish two bonfire seasons, inspiring generations of future arsonists. <laughs> it's been a privilege to watch Spear change the campus debate on Christmas before and see the people behind the surface, creating artistic space where we can draw dicks on a wall without consequences. <laughs> it's, a, it's a privilege to witness when one of your best friends wins a Rhodes Scholarship and follows his dreams. Or perhaps it was even a privilege to witness me when I spilled a bunch of Chinese food on the used store floor, scooped back to its container, and ate for an egg. across the nation and, and across the globe. In that way, privilege is a lot like meningitis, I guess. <laughs> so let's not be afraid to check the privileges that Princeton gave us. Challenges to make us grow, check. Friends to show us how to grow, check. Immunity to an exotic and life-threatening disease, check. <laughs> and being part of the great class of 2014, check. Thank you.
Of all of class governments' immense powers, perhaps none is greater than their ability to somehow add new members to our class the day before that class graduates. Um, this year, class government listened to your suggestions and decided to induct eight members of the Princeton community into the class of 2014, including our keynote speaker. Five of these eight are here today. Word is the other three are monocle holdouts. Here's our class government. Good morning, class of 2014. My name is Mary D'Onofrio, and I serve as our class's secretary. At this moment, I'm delighted to invite Vice President for Campus Life, Cynthia Cherry, to the stage. I've been personally fortunate to have known you since only my fourth week on campus as a freshman. But as the nomination process for class membership has revealed, there are many members of the class of 2014 who have also felt your positive impact on their lives. From generously hosting superstar dinners at your house, to institutionalizing the orange and black ball, to chairing implementation teams, we've appreciated the contribution that you have made to our Princeton experience and your presence at every lawn parties. You told, me, <laughs> you told me yesterday that you grew up with our class, but I speak for 2014 when I say that growing up for us would have not have been the same without you. Thank you, VP Cherry, and congratulations. Good morning, 2014. My name is Dylan Ackerman, and I've had the pleasure to serve as your Vice President for the past few years. This morning, I have the privilege of offering, uh, bringing to the stage one of our honorary class members. Please welcome Dove Groskal. <laughs> Though many of us met Dove, as a lecturer and preceptor in the History Department and the Writing Center, his impact on our class has bridged both the academic and personal aspects of our lives in a unique, in a unique way. His unending energy and enthusiasm for every student he seems to encounter is an inspiration to all of us, and I promise you that if you haven't gotten the chance to know him, that should be on your bucket list before you leave Fitzrandolph Gate tomorrow. So on behalf of the entire class, I want to thank you, Dove, for your role as a friend, a mentor, an educator, and the only person I'm not related to to offer to read my thesis, thank you and welcome to the class of 2014. Good morning. My name is Sophia Dang, and I served as the treasurer of our class for four years. Today, I am honored to induct Joy Roberts into the best class of all, the class of 2014. Joy, please join me on stage. During our four years here, us lucky ones might have met Joy Roberts through the Center of Jewish Life. 
But what many of us don't know is that before her 29-year commitment to the CJL, she worked in all the campus dining halls as both cook and server. Joy is retiring this year after dedicating 42 years of her life to the Princeton community. For her immense contribution to campus life and for creating a home away from home for students through her infectious, positive attitude and energy, the class of 2014 is honored to have Joy be part of our class. Joy, you're truly a joy. And on behalf of the class of 2014, we thank you so much for everything you have done for our class and the 41 classes before us. Thank you so much. Hi everyone, I'm Cameron Henneberg and I'm the social chair of the class of 2014 and I'm very excited to invite Sergeant John Barber to our stage today. For the non-Princetonians in the crowd today, um, I want to share a part of Princeton life that no one really talks about, which is the experience of being locked out of your room clothed in nothing but a towel. You, you find yourself inordinately upset at this very small inconvenience until a public safety officer, such as John Barber, arrives to let you in. Sergeant Barber, also known as PJ, as you heard everyone cheering, received many nominations from our class members, praising his dedication for keeping our university's campus safe, his devoted attendance at women's field hockey games, his good luck with midterms emails, and, of course, his wonderful smile. It is my immense pleasure to officially award today's fourth honorary class membership to PJ Barber. It is now my pleasure to introduce our keynote speaker, a man who has left his mark on the world in many ways. He is a public servant who served in the House of Representatives, the Senate, and as Vice President. He's a business leader who has helped to pioneer startups in media and technology and to advise world-changing companies like Apple and Google. He's won an Oscar and an Emmy. And he's an activist who, since leaving Washington, has awakened the world to the problem of climate change led a global movement seeking to solve it, and received the Nobel Peace Prize. We would be thrilled to have as our speaker someone who has done any one of these things, but Al Gore has managed to do them all. Please join me in welcoming our 2014 Class Day speaker, Al Gore. Thank you. Thank you very much, Taylor. I'm uh, really happy to be here, and I want to begin by acknowledging um, all of the, well, not all of the distinguished guests, because there's so many of them, but I want to acknowledge President Chris Eisgruber. And by the way, for a first class day speech, I think he set the bar pretty high, don't you think? That was a great job. 
And Taylor Francis is actually someone I've known for quite a long time. Um, maybe a few of you know the story, but Taylor, I met Taylor when he was 13 years old, uh, and when he was 14 years old, he became one of the youngest members of the Climate Reality Project and came to Nashville. His mom, with the rest of his mom and dad and the rest of his family here, but his mom came as a chaperone back in those days uh, uh, to, uh, so it, to make it possible for him to go through the three-day training program to be a climate presenter. And he really has worked extremely hard uh, for many years already to raise awareness of the climate crisis. And to all of the, the other distinguished guests, congratulations to the award winners, uh, to all of the family members uh, who are here and close friends, faculty and staff, and most of all to the members of the class of 2014, congratulations. Everybody is so proud of you today. So, Chris talked about the um, comedians uh, and mentioned Stephen Colbert. Uh, and actually, uh, President Eisgruber mentioned that the renaissance of this class day began with Bill Cosby. Well, I went back and checked. Bill Cosby, just in the last 14 years, Bill Cosby, Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, Jerry Seinfeld, John Stewart, Chevy Chase, so I see why I fit into this uh, group. <laughs> I was once named one of the 100 funniest men on C-SPAN. Um, but back when I was vice president, uh, I wasn't so much uh, known for humor as the object of humor. One of the lines was, Al Gore is so boring. His Secret Service code name is Al Gore. <laughs> Another one was, how can you tell Al Gore from a room full of Secret Service agents? He's the stiff one. <laughs> so I'll do my best here, but um, I learned a lot just listening here. I heard so many comments about grade deflation, and that evidently is a serious uh, problem. I, I mean, I can understand what, what it must feel like to get a 93 and get marked down to a, a B plus. Uh, heck, I won the popular vote and got marked down to second place. <laughs> well. I, you know, I just figure you win some, you lose some, and then there's that little-known third category. <laughs> I thought about crowdsourcing this speech, um, but instead, while I was thinking about it and preparing for it, a, a serious, this is, this part is serious, there was a research study that came out where these researchers, a whole bunch of them, they took all of these graduation speeches and class day speeches going back several years. Uh, and they had a whole team of readers. I'm not making this up. 
64% of speakers on occasions like this urge graduates to, quote, give back, quote, serve humanity, quote, unquote, make the world a better place. This is exciting, don't you think? 61% told the graduates to do the right thing, do your duty, have integrity, value higher order principles. Are we going okay now? See, I wanted you to know that I'm not going to say any of those things. There were uh, gender distinctions, by the way, in the research. No kidding, again. When addressing an all-female audience, 49% of women speakers urge their audience to cherish special others. When speaking to an audience that included males, less than 26% did. I'm not sure what that means, but check your privilege. <laughs> now, part of my research was introspective, and this is true. I thought back to my own graduation and the outside speaker who was the main speaker. And I, I have to tell you in all sincerity, I have absolutely no idea who the speaker was. <laughs> and you won't either, unless I just tricked you into remembering. But there are really a lot of changes from when I was in your position finishing up college. We were entering a world that was changing, but not like the change at the pace you all are experiencing. You could expect then that the world your parents left for you would be safer, healthier, and more promise, uh, prosperous. You could expect that without a doubt in the coming fall, Harvard would beat Princeton in football again and again. I, I guess things have changed with all this talk about the bonfires. You do face a very uh, different future, but our generations have a lot in common. Wars that were based on lies and false reasoning, civil rights struggles that we were winning and that you are winning, and our generations understand the power of individuals to induce change. I do want to say a few serious words, if you will permit me to do so. While we were, I saw a couple of people go, oh no. <laughs> While we have been sitting here during this ceremony, President Obama's Environmental Protection Agency made an historic announcement. And the cable news commentators are talking about it right now. EPA issued an order that will require the reduction of global warming pollution from existing power plants by 30% over the next decade and a half. And that's really good news. It's particularly important not because of the actual reduction in global warming pollution that will come from this country alone, but because it enables the reestablishment of moral authority 
on the part of the United States of America in leading the world community in an effort that will culminate in Paris at the end of next year, 2015, to secure a global agreement wherein all nations will agree to take the kinds of steps that our nation took today and then to take other steps beyond that. Today, something else happened that was not as noticed. We, human civilization, put another 98 million tons of global warming pollution into the atmosphere surrounding our planet, as if it's an open sewer. And that global warming pollution is trapping a lot of heat. The cumulative amount now traps as much extra heat energy in 24 hours as would be released by 400,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs being exploded every day. And that is what is raising the temperature and giving the Earth a fever, disrupting the water cycle and putting a lot more water vapor in the air so that, for example, when an April shower came to Pensacola three weeks ago, they got two, two feet of rain in 26 hours. And there are hundreds of similar examples each month all over the world. Same heat is evaporating the moisture out of the soil and leading to deeper droughts. Today, in the state of California, 100% of our largest state is in severe, extreme, or exceptional drought. The ice is melting and the sea level is rising and we are in a struggle to establish the reality of what is occurring. The author of a famous book, The Road Less Travel, once said that evil is the absence of truth. It's a controversial definition and one you have to think about. But it's extremely important for those of us who are American citizens and who live in a country where decisions are ultimately made by the people to make decisions on the basis of reason and the best available evidence. We have to find better ways to resist special interests who hire so-called merchants of doubt to present falsehoods in an effort to confuse people uh, to the point where they can't recognize the truth. They're doing exactly what the tobacco industry did 40 years ago. They hired actors and dressed them up as doctors, put them in front of the cameras with scripts that said, there's nothing whatsoever that will hurt you if you smoke a cigarette. But of course, as now, the medical and scientific evidence showed something entirely different. But before I finish talking about the subject of global warming, I want to present to you some really startling good news. There are now 79 countries around the world where the cost of electricity from solar photovoltaic panels 
is equal to or cheaper than the cost of electricity from all other sources. This is truly a revolution in the making. The difference between cheaper than and more expensive than is not a trivial difference. It's a little bit like the difference between 32 degrees Fahrenheit and 33 degrees Fahrenheit. That's not just a difference of a degree. It's the difference between ice and water. And as renewable energy becomes far more competitive in the marketplace, that represents the difference between a market that's frozen up and a liquid market that attracts massive amounts of investment. In Bangladesh today, there are two photovoltaic rooftop panels being installed every minute, 24 hours a day. The new Prime Minister of India has pledged to use photovoltaic panels in spreading electricity to the 400 million citizens of that nation that have no energy at all today. Here in the United States, there are now 10 states where photovoltaic energy is already more competitive. Some are surprised by this revolution. They didn't see it coming, just like I didn't see that joke about the bris coming when you were up here. <laughs> they were surprised because when change occurs along the pattern of an exponential curve, we get lulled into the familiar long flat part of the curve, and then when it bends upwards and starts its steep rise, we're kind of startled. Here's a precedent. I remember when those early models of the mobile telephones came out, y'all weren't even born yet. I thought they looked so cool. Big clunky things, you may have seen pictures of them. I remember going to a friend's house on Capitol Hill when I was a young congressman and calling him saying, I'm coming over for dinner. When can you get here? Knock, knock, knock on the door. Whoa, it was like the old wild and crazy guys from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Well, you look back at those pictures now and they look pretty silly. About the time that I bought one of those early models, AT&T, which was then Ma Bell, the only telephone company, made a careful international market survey and asked the question, how many of these things might we be able to sell over the next two decades? And they came to the conclusion that by the year 2000, they'd be able to sell 900,000 of these phones, almost a million. Well, they were a little bit off. Uh, they sold 120 million that year. And actually this year, there are now 6.3 billion cell phone contracts active in the world. Now, why were they not only wrong, but way, way wrong? The question's important because it applies directly to our expectations about the struggle between hope and despair where fighting global warming is concerned. They didn't count on the fact that the cost of these mobile phones was coming down so fast, much faster than they had ever experienced in the past. They didn't count on the fact that even as the cost came down, the quality would go up dramatically with all these full-featured smartphones that 
people have now. They didn't count on the fact that the decisions in the marketplace were in the hands of individuals and not big central institutions like utilities. And they didn't count on the fact that in developing countries where the vast majority of the world's people live, they didn't have landline telephone networks. And so they wanted to just leapfrog the old technology and go straight to the mobile phones. The same four factors apply to the solar photovoltaic cells and to the small windmills and to energy efficiency technology. This revolution is unstoppable, but we are in a race and we need to accelerate the pace. I want to urge you to be a part of this struggle. There is on college campuses everywhere, and pardon me, Mr. President, I'm going to cause you a little bit of a problem here, but every college president faces this problem now. I support the divestment movement to get out of stocks in carbon-intensive companies. I went, I was a student nominee for the board at Harvard many years ago during the struggle against apartheid. And it took some time and the administration didn't want to go along with that. But over time, it was seen as the right thing to do. So there'll be a conversation, not only about divestment, not only about the EPA's announcement today, but about the future of human civilization. And I want to ask you to help win that conversation. When I was the age Taylor Francis was when, when um, I went, uh, uh, when I was uh, growing up, I remember a conversation about civil rights. I grew up a big part of my childhood in the South. And one day a friend of mine made some racist comment. And another friend said, hey, shut up. We don't talk that way anymore. And all over the South and all over the nation, that conversation about justice was won. And when the conversation was won, the laws changed. Last year, there was a news story about two gay men standing in line waiting for a pizza. And they were holding hands. And some jerk walked by and made a homophobic comment. And according to the news story, literally every other person in that line turned on him and said, shut up, we don't accept that. We're winning that conversation. We've got a ways to go. Just one more point. Around that same time, I remember being inspired by a president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, when he challenged the United States of America to put a person on the moon and bring him back safely within 10 years. And I remember how many adults in that era thought that was a foolish and overly bold pledge and cost too much money and probably couldn't be accomplished. But eight years and two months later, Neil Armstrong set foot on the surface of the moon. And the moment he did so, in Houston, Texas, at NASA's Mission Control, there was a great cheer that went up. 
And the average age of the systems engineers in that room was 26, which means, among other things, that their average age when they heard that challenge was 18. Young people who take the time to get a quality education and empower themselves with the kind of skills that you have acquired here at Princeton can change the world. The fact that the world has resisted change thus far is of no import. The great American poet Wallace Stevens once wrote, after the last no comes a yes, and on that yes, the future of the world depends. When people gather here decades from now and hear that the graduating class that year is the greatest ever that year, depending on the world they grow into, they will look back at us in this day and time and they will ask one of two questions. If they are struggling with the kinds of horrific consequences the scientists have been warning us about, they would be justified in looking back at us and asking, what were you thinking? Why didn't you act? But if they live in a world where renewable energy and efficiency and sustainable agriculture and sustainable forestry and electric transportation and retrofitted buildings and all of the new technologies to accomplish a low-carbon world have been put in place creating hope and rising standards of living. And if they can look at their own children and feel that their lives will be better still, I want them to look back at us and ask, how did you shake off the lethargy? How did you find the moral courage to rise up and make the changes that were so essential. And I want part of that answer to be that the Princeton class of 2014 helped to lead the way. We've got everything we need. The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Congratulations and best wishes. Thank you, Vice President Gore. We are now thrilled to induct you as an honorary member of our class. Thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for dedicating yourself to a cause that is so critical for our future and for exemplifying the potential impact of a life in the nation's service. Welcome to Princeton's great class of 2014.
Sadly, our class day ceremony is coming to a close. However, we have a few important announcement for, announcements for all of you before we conclude. Seniors, you may pick up your lunch boxes for yourself and four guests on Alexander Beach. Feel free to return to Cannon Green to eat, but please avoid the area near the stage, which is being set up for another ceremony this afternoon. Dylan Gym is also available for those who prefer to picnic indoors. And now, most importantly, of course, we have information regarding alcohol at senior prom. <laughs> Wristbands for beer and wine can be picked up in advance of the event, event at the booth between Wig and Clio from now until 2 p.m. After 2 p.m., you can pick them up at the actual event. Now, a group of our classmates who represent the many a cappella groups on campus will lead us in singing Old Nassau. On behalf of the entire Class Day team, I'd like to thank everyone for their help in making this a special and memorable occasion. It's been an honor for us to serve as your Class Day chairs, and we'll see you tonight to continue the celebration. Yeah.